open your Bibles, if you have a Bible or your Bible app, and uh, let's go to uh, Genesis chapter 11. Yeah, last week we did chapters 5, 6, 7, 8, and most of 9. And uh, what we're, we, uh, you'll see in chapter 10 is called, usually called the table of the table of nations, which means it's describing the, how the, 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 the families and clans began to separate and spread out. Well, that, what happened there is explained, or the, that you might say the catalyst for chapter 10 is explained in chapter 11. It's not unusual for, uh, especially in, in Hebrew literature, to say something and then back up and explain it, or to say something and then back up and zoom in. We see that even, uh, again, remember the book of Revelation has a lot of big picture and then backing up to the small picture. So we'll see that today. But before we do that, um, as we approach the uh, Genesis 11 today, we're just going to do, we're not going to do five chapters, even though today might be a better day for five chapters, since most of us are probably snowbound. Uh, but uh, I want us to review a few things about what we've seen so far. And I'm, I'm probably just as surprised as you are that we're already in chapter 11. Uh, Genesis 1 through 11 is typically, is, is typically, uh, is typically called... Um, or referred to as the the primordial world, the the it's the it's the world before the patriarchs uh, begin, and it is where it establishes a general worldview, a theistic worldview. What, who are we, and where did we come from? Even more so than uh, than than the initiation of of specific familial covenant with Abraham. Once we get to Abraham, things kind of shift quite a bit. But what have we seen so far in these first 11 chapters are fundamental for being human, for being an image bearer. Who are we? Where does this, what, what's happening? And what is, what is this all about? What is the origin of our faith of humanity? And again, we're not studying math or physics or chemistry or history per se, but the origins of faith and the relationship between the image giver and the image bearer. So if you if you don't mind let's let's just take a minute and review a few things because I genuinely believe that what we see as principles in the first 11 chapters of Genesis the warnings and the instruction the wisdom that is present in the narrative is absolutely fundamental to um to pristine or um appropriate or the best expression of humanity. It serves as a warning against what was leads to our destruction and a, and, a, and, a, and a promise toward or a wisdom to say, this is who you should be. This is how you should think. So let's just take, it might make more sense if we actually lean into it. So first of all, we see that creation in chapter one, that creation, chapter really one, one, two, and three, one and two really, is um, what we've seen so far is that creation itself is God's idea. God's desire, God's design. Creation is God's idea, his design, and his desire. It came from him. He's the owner. He's the maker. He's the author. And so, we really, they're, they're, in the beginning, God said this and God did this. So, right away, we need to understand that this, this, that we are not the result of ourselves. This world around us is not the result of our own making. And therefore, it is not, it is not subject to our will, per se, that we don't get to decide. This is not ours. Genesis says, hey, you have a creator and he has a design for you. Wow. Okay. Uh, this is God's world. If I were in a room with you, I'd say this, one of the big meta messages from the first 11 chapters in Genesis is this is God's world. And, 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 uh, 
we are to, and because it's God's world, we are, we are understand that mankind, we are, we are here, we are assigned, we are appointed, we are given, you know, vocation and liberty and fellowship and boundary to, in order to cultivate this world and care for it and even keep it under control, keep it from getting out of control. We are stewards of God's creation. Our presence, our presence is the intention. That creates so that this though so that even though that creation is is God's plan, we understand that that the intent, the ultimate intent and climax of creation is humanity, is mankind. We are not a blight. Golly, this 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 helps us see. So, you know, so many times in uh, well in various science fiction or nonfiction, people want to treat humanity like they are a problem on creation, that they're the problem of creation. They're not the problem. They're the intent. Mankind is the, is the design and the intent of heaven. We are God's climax. Creation exists, yes, to glorify God, but it create, God created everything in order to place in creation an image bearer. And so creation itself is, serves to accommodate mankind's interests and needs. But we need to keep that in, in sort of a balance because we should care for or respond to creation in a way that honors the creator. Yes, God created this for us, but he put us here to, to and also to care for that which is his. So that, that really, right away, if you want to just think about, like, what's the deal with, with, with Christians and the environment? Well, Christians should, it should, be, the, should be the leaders of creation care, but not environmentalism. Environmentalism uh, equates uh, animals and plants and everything with humanity as if we were all on the same page, and that's blasphemy. We are not all on the same level, but we are. But 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 believers, image bearers, should treat creation in a way that honors its creator. So hey, you know what? Cut cut a tree down if you need to. If you need it for something, if you need it for fuel or for building or whatever. But otherwise, you know, we maybe maybe not. Maybe maybe not just devastate everything just for the sake of our pleasure. And when it, even with animals, you know. I, I tend to holler at my dog too much, but you know, man, as a as a as an image bearer, we should be kind to animals. If you need to, if you need them for food or something else, that's a good thing. But otherwise, we should take care of them. So we there, there is a big meta message there that we didn't really explore much, but it's important to see. Ah, Genesis helps us see uh, the right relationship between us and creation. That although mankind is is God's climax and God's primary concern, that part of our responsibility is to care for the, for creation. Okay. Uh, and so although creation is important, the most important thing is our relationship and our responsibilities, our obligations as image bearers. Image bearers, image bearers, image bearers, image bearers. Mankind, this is the dealio that I want to say, that every person, every human being is born as an image bearer. And every human being has the same opportunity to, to be and to do as an image bearer and the same obligation to honor the image giver. We have the same opportunity, we have the same obligation, and we must all be given or treated with the same respect. And here's what's so powerful, and we see it culminating even last week with, the, with God's covenant with Noah, where, he's, where, where God says, you have to honor the blood. If you shed blood, by, you know, then, then your blood will be shed by human because we're made in the image of God. And I'm not trying to be gory there, but the, the principle is that it is the, it is, it is the blood. <laughs> it, is, it is blood that is the great 
equivocator. God that that if that human beings have life blood in them, and God says that that is the thing that makes you alive. That is the thing that you must respect. And so the image bearer uh, is someone with life blood in them. And so the great equivocator, if if they've got blood, boom, you know, they're, then then they're then they deserve the exact same respect and honor and protection as another image bearer. Meaning we are not distinguished by or measured by uh, um, our capacities, our abilities, our appearances. We it is not. I know, here I am, Captain, Captain, no melanin talking like this. But it is not the amount of melanin in our skin that makes us matter. It, what makes us all matter is the image bearer that we are and the blood that we have. All, if you've got blood, you, are, you, you not only matter to God, but you matter to me. You are valuable and you are worth protecting and you are worth respecting. And so believers need to raise the bar all the way around. It's like, no, we're, we are not going to react to hurts and, and anger and resentments among different ethnicities and cultures. We have to raise the bar and say, no, it's, you're not even, even you're, you're valuable, but you're more valuable than you recognize. You're more valuable, not more valuable than the person next to you, but you're more, it is not your culture or the color of your skin that, that makes you valuable. It is not your ability or your disability that determines your value. You are valuable. You are worth respect because you are an image bearer. And that doesn't lower our, our respect and affection and uh, for humanity. It raises it. We should be the champions of human value without becoming humanists. Humanity isn't the center of creation. We respect the image bearer because of the image they bear. And that's the dealio there. Uh, and that really brings us to the, the problem. The problem in Genesis is, is that is ultimately a rejection of, the, of the, the boundaries, the good boundaries that God gives us, and a rejection of or a, a violation of our opportunity and obligation as image bearers. The problem in Genesis began when, when, he, when the image bearers said, I will decide what's right and wrong. I'll decide for myself. And when, they just, when the image bearer, when mankind said, I'll decide what's right and wrong, they fractured, they violated, they confused, they disrupted, they ignored God's good boundaries. And we see the consequence of that is violence and immorality and idolatry. And all of that is a, is, a, is a rejection of and a rebellion against the relationship between image bearer and image giver. Today, what we'll see is, in chapter 11, is, I don't know, I'm, I'm tempted to say the, the, the last expression of rebellion, although it's not last chronologically, in, 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 the, in the picture of mankind's rebellion against God, here is, here is um, uh, the the final expression of rebellion that and and will and that 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 will keep re, re, that will keep resurfacing until the last days until the Lord comes again. Today we're going to look at the Tower of Babel in chapter eleven, just those first nine verses I think in chapter eleven, and the idea and what we see in the Tower of Babel is this is that is that 
mankind says, let us make ourselves. Let us make ourselves, essentially, let us make ourselves in our own image. We will reject the fact that we have been made in the image of God. And we will, we want to remake, we want to, we want to make ourselves in our own image and assert our own power and independence from God. And so here we go. And in this story of Babylon in Genesis 11 is both warning and redemption. There is this, a serious warning against the spirit of Babylon. But because, remember that we don't read the, the, the text only in real time. We read it in hindsight and specifically you and I read it with uh, the companion of our confidence in Christ, what God has done for us in Christ, we bring to us as a companion to interpret and respond to the book of Revelation. So for us, there is, yes, the warning against the spirit of Babylon, but there is also the message of redemption. And specifically what we'll see today is the message for us, the hope, the, the, the challenge for us is in, we, we can summarize from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, where Paul says, be diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's going to that. That's the redemptive alternative, the redemptive solution to the Spirit of Babylon. All right, Lord, thanks for that. Helping us as, as a way of introduction, helping us to see things. But now, Lord, as we lean into this passage, that for for many, again, a passage that is exceedingly familiar. Help us not to be clouded by the lens of familiarity, but to listen carefully to your word. And we ask that you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God that we might hear and respond. Amen. Yeah, like I said in my prayer, <clears throat> a lot of these stories in the first 11, cha 11 chapters of Genesis and beyond uh, are so familiar, so, so saturated in popular culture that they, their, their message or is almost fossilized. Uh, it's just like, oh yeah, I get it, Tower of Babel, you know, and, and I get it. Oh yeah, and then God got mad because they wanted to build a, a building, a skyscraper, and so God got mad at them and, and, and didn't like that or whatever. And so we almost it almost voids itself of wisdom and, 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 and redemptive value. So we need to kind of say, okay, Lord, help us to listen fresh to this. So here's how it begins. Genesis chapter 11. Now all the earth used the same language and the same words. Again, this is going to explain to us what happens in chapter 10. Because if you read chapter 10, it says all these people, all the sons of Noah and their descendants and where they went. And it even says that they separated according to their language. So then you pick up for chapter 11 and it says they all speak the same language. And you think, well, is this a contradiction? What's going on here? No, no. Again, he's backing up and explaining the catalyst for what happens in chapter 10. We see it in chapter 11. This is how chapter 10 happened. Uh, <clears throat> that's not the, the whole intent of chapter 11 is not to explain chapter 10. But the real intent is to warn us against the spirit of Babylon. I, can't, I cannot emphasize that enough. Verse 2, and it came about as they journeyed east. I, I don't really have a good explanation for this really, honestly, but uh, you'll, you will notice as you walk through the 11 chapters in the first part of Genesis that the, <laughs> the further people seek to get away from God, they keep going east. I don't, I don't have an answer for that. I don't think the geographic direction of east is bad. I've moved east. I used to live on the west side of town. I live on the east side of town. I haven't moved away from God. But 
But at least in this context, when we see people moving east, the narrator tends to be saying something's going on there. There, there, there's a there, there's a connection in the story, at least not in principle, but in the story. As if we're, if we're looking at it from a, from what do we learn here? That as mankind is moving east, the narrator wants to know that that, that is a, a that's almost symbolic in here anyway of them moving away from uh, their relationship, their reverence to uh, the Lord. Okay. They're, they moved, and they found they found a plain <clears throat> in the land of Shinar and settled there. This is the area of Babylon. And then they said, "This is a big deal." You need to ring a bell. You need to underline things. I think we said this before, but we pay attention to the conversation. Listen to who says what. Listen to people talking. When God speaks or when someone speaks in the narrative, it's a big deal. When 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 the narrator, probably Moses records what was said, that's a big deal. That's a major plot point is people talking. And here's what we see is, then they said to one another, come, let us. Now, now my new, new American Standard wants to make it easier to read. So it says, come, let's make bricks. But you need to hear it as, come, come, let us make bricks and fire them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. Verse four, and then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. Here we have. <clears throat> they, here, listen to those words. Come, let us. Pay attention to the conversation. Who's talking? The image bearers are now asserting in the story the same language that Elohim uses in Genesis 1. When God says, come let us, come let us make mankind in our image. Now in the final act of rebellion, the image bearer says, no, come let us make in our image. This is what the narrator wants us to hear. That this is this is the this is in in terms of the progress of the of the pre patriarch era. Here is the final rebellion. That not only is has man has the individual or groups of, of image bearers rebelled and gone into violence and corruption, but now there is an organized effort to vocally express rebellion against God and not only to say and and to do and to rebel in such a way as to say let us make ourselves in our own image this is the language of assertion of ascension of laying claim to govern and rule ourselves come let us it's don't make a mistake. Moses, the narrator, wants us to hear that humanity has gone now so far as to as to think they're God and to talk like him about themselves. Whoa. Okay? So they say, come, let us make bricks. I've heard I've heard people talk about this a lot, and and there's a temptation to say that, oh, look, the idea is that they made bricks because where they had moved east in the plain of Shinar, there wouldn't have been the kind of big limestone, the kind of rock. Uh, that was available closer to the to the to the Mediterranean, where Israel would eventually be, and they would build the temple out of big stone. They didn't have stone there so much, and so they decided that hey, let's make bricks. So while that's a practical and a real thing, we probably should listen to the the symbolism here. We want to be careful, but we want to listen. We want to listen and say, ah, 
they are not only they're in in conjunction at the same time that they're that they are rejecting the image bearer and they're they're and they're saying let us make ourselves in our image. They're also saying let us make things ourselves. Now that's not a, I want to be careful. This is not a rebuke against creativity or technology or innovation or anything like that. But this is man saying that the principle here is we are going to ignore. The if we pay attention to the real time here, they're ignoring the provision of God, what has been used, what God has given them to build and to make, and they're going to make it ourselves. We're going to make our own bricks. We're going to do it ourselves. This is, I will do it myself. I don't need God. Now, again, we're not, that doesn't mean that we should all become Amish and abandon technology, you know, because even the Amish have, you know, wagons and, you know, wheels. But, this is so it's this is not anti-technology thank God because here we are using technology this morning this is this is God as image bearers we are we have we have almost limitless limitless capacity to create and to innovate but the warning here is to, is, is is to be careful about saying I don't need God I'm gonna make it myself I'm gonna do it myself and, and this so there's a there's a symbol here the brick making is a symbol of their rejection of God okay? Uh, so, uh, man, so then verse, but verse four really is the, the key, really. I think you could, this, this verse four, the whole chapter, the whole principle hinges around verse four. And verse four says, let, oh boy, this is so good. Let us build ourselves. Let us build ourselves a city. Let us build ourselves a city. And a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered. This is, verse 4, is the spirit of Babylon. It happens here, it's clear, and it keeps happening. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I already am. It will keep happening. It will keep happening throughout history. You can smell it, you can see it, you can hear it in every age, and you can hear it today. The spirit of Babylon, mankind organizing themselves in resistance to and rejection of God. Let us make a city and a tower. Now, usually in the story, this is where the, the meaning is so fossilized by familiarity. The tower usually in the emphasis, that usually becomes the emphasis of the whole story. And uh, there, there's even great paintings of an unfinished of unfinished towers and all that. And, and if we're not careful, we'll just think, oh, I guess God didn't like that building. I guess he didn't like that one. Uh, it's not, he, this, this isn't, this isn't any more about God not liking buildings than God not liking kale. When, with with Cain's offering, okay. So it's not about that. It's 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 the it's it's what's in the heart. Remember, the heart determines what God, how God measures what's in our hands. And so the in this story, the tower is a symbol. It's not I'm not a metaphor. It becomes they build a tower to assert their power. It may or may not have been a temple. A great deal of commentaries of study Bibles, you'll open them up and they'll show pictures of this thing called a ziggurat or whatever. And it's this multi-tiered, stared thing that we see throughout history, that we see particularly in Babylon and other areas where it looks like it's, it, it has this shape like this and there are stairs and there are lower, there are, there's a lower level of a, of a temple and then they build a, a temple on the very top. 
And it's supposed to represent a mountain because they, people believed that mountains were the gates to heaven. And so they, since they, they wanted to build their own mountain. Uh, that's entirely possible. But the Hebrew word doesn't say temple at this point. The Hebrew word is just tower. And so while it could very well have been uh, a, a temple, and that's fine, uh, it, it really is, we, it, to, to be fair to the text, we, should, we probably should stop and say the, they were building a tower. And, then, and if we understand it in that respect, they were building not a temple for worship or even a idolatry necessarily to a pagan god yet. Really, this is, they were building a monument to themselves. The Tower of Babel is a monument to man. And how do you know that? Because it says, we will, we will build a tower and it will reach to the heavens. Do you see that? They were exalting themselves. I am God. I decide. I am God. I will rule over me. And even and if heaven was supposedly where, where, where Yahweh lived, they're going to build a tower, a symbol to their own power, and it would reach into the skies. And this is the spirit. What's happening? Let's build a city. Let's build a tower. This is the consolidation of power, of control, and protection of self, and, and, and uh, projection of self that, that, that to this day uh, characterizes Babylon. The prophet Isaiah recognizes this about Babylon, even years later, as he's prophesying about the city years later. And he says about Babylon, the king of Babylon, in Isaiah 14, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Here's, this is what the tower is. The tower, the voice of the tower of Babylon is found in Isaiah 14. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like most high. That is the voice of the Tower of Babylon. Not, well, God doesn't like skyscrapers or kale, I guess. no. God doesn't, God's into building and creativity and all of that stuff. This is not about a building. This is about rebellion. I will be higher than God. And this tower is that expression. We see that we, with, the, with the, the availability of the hindsight of Scripture. We see what was really going on in Babylon. And then this is the, the big thing here. Let us make a name for ourselves. Not the name that God gave us. Not image bearers. Let us make a name. Let us remake ourselves in our own image. Let us make our names great. Let us recreate ourselves. This is mankind's passion to be like God or to be their own God. And we should read this as a warning. Again, we can go on and on about it, but we see Babylon should be what we see in this story. And the attitude behind it should be to us a warning. And this is pretty broadly spoken. So, cheers. Uh, once again, I have no. I don't read these passages. We're not coming at them with an intent to, to proof text uh, political orientations. But let the text speak. Statism says that the government, mankind organizing themselves in opposition to God, statist says that the government that's, that 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 a city is God. Statism, 
statism that says it's all about us and it's all about power, that's the spirit of Babylon. Humanism that says we are God, let us exalt ourselves, let us make a name for ourselves in our own image, that is Babylon. And really, friends, it doesn't. Have, it's not just about what's happening out there, it's about what's happening in here. In my own life, any, any time that we engage, even in your own family, your own home, or your own marriage, when you engage in tower building or name making, when you say, I want to honor me, or I want, let us, I want to do something, I want to honor myself, I want to protect me, I want to assert my control and my power, that spirit, that, that proud, controlling, self-elevating spirit is the spirit of Babylon. Now, verse 5. <clears throat> now, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which men had built. <laughs> don't, don't miss the narrator's humor here. What did, the, what did mankind say? What did they say? Let's build a great big tower to the heavens. Let's make, we're, we're going to be bigger than God. Again, read Isaiah 14. I'm going to ascend. I will ascend to the very heights. I will be God. I'm going to be so high, even God's going to have to look me in the eyes. And the narrator says, God had to come down to even see what they were doing. Don't miss that. Well, the Lord had to come down. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord came down. It was too far away. What they were, what they were doing was their best efforts. Their best, their best arrogant efforts was was not even significant enough for God to see it from heaven, so to speak. So He has to come down and see it. Uh, so uh, let's. Uh, the, so then the Lord said, verse six. And then the Lord said. So we hear what they said. What did they say in, in chapter four? Let us build. Let us make. Let us make. Let us build. Let us make a name for ourselves. And uh, lest we be scattered. We've got to remember that part. Then verse 6 says, Then the Lord said, pay attention to the conversation. Conversation, we pay attention to the conversation as part of the, 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 the key to interpret. Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they have started to do. And now nothing which they plan to do will be impossible for them. We need to be careful and not misunderstand some sort of a together we can do anything. This is not a message that says, hey, if we can just if we're just together, there we can do anything if we work together. Dun, 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 if we all pull together. That is not this is this is the Lord saying they have they're one people and with one message, and they have started down this path. If they've done this, there is no end to what they are capable of doing in terms of rebellion and evil. This is, this is more like the, a warning against groupthink as opposed to, look how coordinated they are. Good job. Go team. Uh, this is, they have conspired together to do this evil and there is no limit to what they might do. Groupthink this kind of mentality moves fast, it creates movement without restraint, and it almost always leads to demise. Whenever there is mob mentality, it leads to chaos, confusion, and demise. Yeah. This is the same mentality, this, this group think, 
this organizing of, of, of let's get together and let's, let's, let's all, let's all be one. Let's all, you know, fight the power. Let's, and all that means is let, give me the power and resist God. This is Marxism. This is tyranny. This is, uh, it will always lead to corruption, to violence, to godlessness, to injustice and oppression. Always, always it will lead there. And in this case, they were they were rejecting God's intent. If you if you we if we read every command, every blessing, what has God said to humanity every time? Even after correction, He'll say He says God blesses them and tells them to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth, to fill the earth. Okay, and what did they want to do in in here? They said, let's, let's build a city and a tower and stay put, lest we be scattered. Let's make our own name. Let's not be scattered. If they, there, there, weren't, there, there wasn't a fear of spreading, but see, spreading out, spreading out would eliminate the ability to control, to assert power. Let's stay together so we can assert power. Let's gather people together and be in control. Ooh, this is not good, not good. Okay. The image bearers were supposed to were supposed to spread out and to care for and to cultivate the whole earth. Instead, they sought to consolidate power and control. Beware the spirit of Babylon. Instead, now in, we see that as as when as earlier Adam and Eve they 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 pushed the edges of God's good boundaries in chapter three. Now in chapter eleven they choose to restrict God's good boundaries and make their own. So we see in Genesis the extremes of boundary rejection and image bearer rebellion. He continues, the Lord continues, the Lord's rebuttal, the Lord's correction to what they do in verse 7. Note the same language that God uses. God says, come, let us. What did they say in verse 4? Come, let us. Let's, let us do this, this, and this. And God says, no, come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech so the lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth and they stopped building the city for now therefore it was called babel because there the lord confused the language of all the earth from there the lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth and now you should go back and read chapter 10 and see how they scattered where they went and all of the different places okay what, what the Lord does here is confuse their language, uh, and and then and and uh, then this and what their end result is that the city that they were building that originally that we that history knows as Babylon the city this the gate to heaven it's it's called the gate to heaven uh, it's uh, the Hebrew makes a word play and calls it Babel it's called the place of confusion so mankind's uh, attempt to assert themselves in power ends in confusion. And that's almost always the case. Babylon, Egypt, Nineveh, Athens, Rome, even contemporary cities, modern urban centers, call themselves by great names, and yet they become havens of unrest, confusion, and corruption whenever they organize themselves apart from the knowledge of God and in rejection of their obligation and their opportunity and the respect of image-bearing. Babylon always murders its babies. 
It does other things, but I can never not say that. Remember, that's the spirit of Babylon. This is the end result of all humanistic pride. Confusion and collapse will always result from humanistic pride. It will offer the promise of a great city and a great tower and all these things and protection, but it will always, whenever humanity exalts itself and humanistic, we assert, assert ourselves in this kind of pride, it will always lead to collapse and to confusion. Now, again, as we've said, from, from Genesis forward, the spirit of Babylon will surface time and again. Civil, all throughout history, from this point, from that point forward, civil, civilizations and great cities will arise and organize themselves in opposition to God. They will oppose the obligations and the opportunities uh, of the image bearer, and they will show they will lack respect for others that to whom the that they that respect belongs because of the image that they bear. We see that as civilizations rise. All these things are true. They, 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 they rebel, and they, one, of the, one of the symptoms is, is choosing which, who gets respect and who does not. And, and it's not based on image bearing. It's based, upon all, it's based on culture or ethnicity or appearance or even the sound of their voice. When the spirit of Babylon will always prostitute itself, it will always idolize, it will always oppress, it will always be violent, and in the end... Babylon will always fall. And in Revelation 17 and 18, that's the, the angel said, it, there will come a final fall, a final and complete fall of mankind's organized rebellion against God. Babylon will fall. So as we read this, though, there's a, there's a, a warning to us to resist and to contend against that spirit. And again, Babylon doesn't just begin with, with bricks and towers. Babylon begins in our hearts and with our mouths, just like it did then. It began with an idea and then what they, how they talked. And so you and I, as we must recognize, we have, to, we have to recognize and reject the spirit of Babylon here and here first, just like we do other things. But again, like I said at the beginning, there's, this is more than just a warning against the spirit of Babylon. There is... In hindsight, in 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 as we, as we look to it with with with, redempt, with redemption's lens, we see something about the the unity of humanity restored. It is not God's will, long term, of course, that mankind remain uh, confused or separated by language. Keep in mind, this is pretty cool. Again, I don't believe it's the intent in in Genesis per se, but in the redemption, the redemptive lens shows us that that mankind was separated by God, confusing their languages. But in the end, humanity will be united by God giving us a, a similar or the same language. Aren't you glad the story isn't over as you read it in Genesis? There is a redemption to this story. God will unite us, but not around the tower of our own pride. We, God, will unite humanity around the name of Jesus Christ and by sharing his spirit together. Galatians 3.27, listen to this, says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ 
have clothed yourself with Christ. He's talking about the spirit of Christ here. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. God has has reunited mankind around Christ and remaking us in the image of Christ. We re, re, re restoring us uh, in Christ to, as the image bearers, and He unites us. And the and the promise, the fulfillment of unity then in the spirit is fully fully recognized or or expressed symbolically in Acts chapter 2 as the church all these people and remember in Acts chapter 2 there, there are people in the upper room but then there's people that have gathered from every nation under the earth and they've gathered there in Jerusalem and God pours out his spirit in the presence of people scattered everywhere and and the church begins to speak with one language they speak the language of the Spirit, and everybody who's down below, they all hear the language of the Spirit in their own heart. In other words, the Spirit of God speaks to them with their own heart. And so, really, this really is Pentecost. How'd you get to Pentecost from chapter 11 of Genesis? We're always going to get there eventually. But Pentecost is God's solution. His redemptive solution to the chaos of confusion is this, is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit because of Jesus Christ. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit unites us around our allegiance to Jesus Christ and not my allegiance to me, not my allegiance to a political party, not my allegiance even to a nation. I have an allegiance to Jesus Christ. And therefore, I, if you have allegiance to Jesus Christ, we are one. And I will love you, and I will fight for you, and I will help you, I will bleed for you, I will do whatever I can for you, because we are one in Jesus Christ. And God even gives us one language. Yeah, I know it sounds crazy, but he does. The language of the Spirit all over the world, all throughout time and history, whatever the Spirit of God has been poured out, the people of God have begun to lift up their voice in a spiritual tongue, and in one voice, not talking about God, or even talking to each other, but with one spiritual language lifting our voice in prayer and praise to God and we are united in it everywhere I've been throughout the world and in every nation I've been in we begin to talk about God's promise of the Holy Spirit and God pours out his spirit and every tribe and every nation that I've been in and I've seen people lift up their voice and worship God in the spirit I don't know what they're saying but I know the Jesus they're talking to and I know the spirit with which they are praying and we share in it together It is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and even the language of the Spirit that reverses, if you will, the curse of Babylon. We are united not around the tower of our pride, but the strong tower of the name of Jesus. And our language isn't separated and chaotic, but we all come together with the voice of the Spirit. All over the world I've seen this. I've told people sometimes this story, you know, as as a boy from the 80s, you know, trained to believe that don't get upset. Let me finish the story before you get upset. Trained to believe that the Russians were all commies and bad guys. <laughs> and, and if you're from the 80s, you know, every every movie told us they were, you know, uh, they were bad guys. Well, and then we start having Russians that move into the area and rent our buildings anyway. So I was, you know, I, I remember pastoring a few you know, years ago uh, in, a, in, a, in a building. We rented our building out to a Russian congregation in the afternoon. And uh, I, I, and I, this story is so familiar that I feel like I've told it so often. But I remember 
in the, in the afternoon getting ready for our evening service, I'm in my office and they're in the auditorium. And I can hear them singing and preaching in Russian. But then all of a sudden I hear something else. I hear the entire congregation lift up their voice in a language that I know is not Russian. And I know what they're doing. They're all praising. They're all worshiping in the spirit. So I remember getting out of my office and going into the room with them and laying my face on the, on the floor of the, of, the, of the auditorium and joining them in the language of the Spirit. And that, in that moment, there was our culture, our background, the, nothing, everything, that, not that it no longer mattered, but it all became uh, just a contribute, uh, just a contribution to what united us. We were all. I recognize we all are have gathered around the name of Jesus, and we all share His Spirit, and we all give expression to Him with the voice of the Spirit together. I've seen this. I've seen this all around the all around the world, uh, and 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 I rem- always remember that in at Azusa, one of the great testimonies. Uh, of 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 the, the the revival at Azusa in the early 1900s. Yeah, there was powerful powerful miracles and healings that were occurring that were gathering people's attention and and drawing people and people were being born again all day long and healed. People were receiving uh, an experience with the Spirit and began and and sometimes they'd wait, sometimes they'd be there for weeks or months or a year, and then they too would have breakthrough and they would begin to give God praise in spiritual language. But one of the most powerful things that we saw that doesn't get emphasized enough is that even though that nobody nobody initiated it wasn't it was not a political agenda that accomplished it that as people gathered around the name of Jesus and sought for the outpouring of the holy spirit here's 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 what the testimony that we see at Azusa here's a direct quote the whites came with love and true repentance for the way they felt about blacks and had treated them. The blacks came with love and genuine forgiveness. Asians, Hispanics, Native Americans, and others came together in the Spirit. It is only the Spirit of God that will bring humanity together, not around uh, one ethnicity or a hashtag or a banner, but around the name of Jesus. And the only and we gather around the name of Jesus by the power and the promise of His Spirit, and we begin to share again the same language. And when we are one people with one voice there won't be anything that we are incapable of doing. But not for our pride or our profile, but for the name of Jesus Christ. Therefore, as we said at the beginning, we, we, as Paul says, be diligent to keep. You didn't create it, but you can keep it. Be diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Our unity as followers of Jesus Christ is of the Spirit, by the Spirit, and it is characterized by peace, not by power. And it must be protected, it must be prized, it must be reverenced. We reverence the bond of the Spirit 
by peace because we are image bearers, new creations. And now not only do we bear the image of our creator, but the image of our redeemer. So I pray for you guys today. I pray for all of us. Uh, I pray that the Lord would help us, strengthen us, that God would pour out his spirit upon us, He would fill us with His Spirit. I pray that I pray for the unity of the Spirit in your hearts and your homes. It's interesting, isn't it, to say, "Well, you're going to take Genesis 11 and, and go all the way to praying for the fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit." Yeah, yeah. Because is there? Has there been a time, I mean, people, it's, it happens all the time. It's nothing new because of the spirit of Babylon. The world has remained in a state of chaos and confusion, hostility toward one another. But this is our generation and this is our time. And so we have to be able to say there is hope for peace. That we, the people of Jesus Christ can be the temple not not built by human hands but the temple where where Ephesians says we are being we ourselves are being built together to be a place where God lives by his spirit God help us help the church of Jesus Christ to be the place where image bearers can be forgiven and restored and brought back together in real unity, in real peace, by the power of His Spirit. And may we lift our voices in the Spirit and let our language be Godward, heavenward, with reverence to Jesus. Lord, would you keep us, help us to reject and renounce, to resist the spirit of Babylon, but to be filled with and yield to the spirit of Christ. We thank you for the wisdom in the text today. And ultimately, Lord, I just pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us. May we walk in today the full measure of the blessing of Christ. In the name of Jesus, we give you thanks and praise. Amen. All right. Well, thanks for gathering today. And uh, we really look forward to uh, the rest of the week. We look forward to gathering with you in person and live for those who need to be live uh, uh, online. But... We will gather in person again next weekend and uh, when all of this melts away and uh, we'll gather together in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, lifting our voices together. God bless you. Have a good one. I almost forget how to turn this thing off, but now I do. All right, God bless you guys.